This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu forward slash store to download this book or purchase a physical copy. Intellectual Schizophrenia Culture, Crisis and Education by Russus J. Rushduni. Copyright 1961, Dorothy Rushduni and the Rushduni Irrevocable Trust. Calcedon, Ross House Books. Chapter 5. The State and Education Some years ago, Lowy described the education of primitive peoples as utilising, among other things, social pressure, ridicule, group example and social expectation. This is effective in tribal culture, where one unchallenged way of life exists. There are many, however, who feel that Modern man has much to learn from. Primitives, and some of the most absurd of studies have been undertaken in this spirit. This imitative concern is hardly necessary, however, in that the modern concern is with the group and with mankind as a whole, has been productive of a new tribalism in modern man. Whether the tribe includes all of mankind, our state, or is a nomadic band of 50 persons, it remains a tribe in this restrictive sense. If the individual members refuse a personal sense of responsibility, supplant objective and eternal law with tribal law, as the Supreme Court has done, and find nothing more distasteful than being a man, all reality and power is given to the pack and self-consciousness apart from the pack is seen as a sickly phenomenon. The pack is a lonely crowd and all its integration and exercise in futility, in that manhood remains an inescapable reminder in reality. One of the early prophets of the modern mood asserted, quote, I think I could turn and live with the animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them long and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. No one is dissatisfied. No one is demented with the mania of owning things. Not one kneels to another, nor to his kind that lived thousands of years ago. No one is respectable or industrious over the whole earth. End quote. Notice that this catalogue of sins actually amounts to one sin, manhood. Discontent with one's condition alone brings material progress. Discontent with one's spiritual state alone brings repentance and new life. Duty to God is the privilege of humanity, not a sickness. Private property Owning things is no mania, but an essential part of the development of freedom and the personality of man. To worship is to know God and oneself in relationship to him, and to be, quote, respectable or industrious, end quote, is hardly a sin in any society. But Whitman wrote of these things with real revulsion and found it better to be an animal than a man. His sentiments 
have been widely echoed. The essence of manhood is responsibility, and a rebellion against responsibility means a rebellion against the condition of being human. It is a desire to be as God, and yet with no more responsibility for thought and action than a, quote, placid, end quote, animal. The lonely crowd is sick of responsibility. Much of modern education encourages a socialization of standards, tastes, interests and experiences. In all this, is the public school the architect or the victim? Before answering that question, let us examine what Van Til has called, quote, integration into the void, end quote. Psychology began its recent history by rebelling against the domination of man by intellect and turned to irrationalism. A further step was child psychology and the attempt to read the man in terms of the child. The adult was, together with the child, next read in terms of the unconscious. Further steps towards integration into the void were taken by studies in the psychology of primitive man and then of animals. That modern psychology is deeply imbued with the romantic revolt against reason and is part of the same impulse is clear-cut. But equally apparent is the fact that truth has given way to relativism and the concept of man has been eroded into nothingness. Thus, the integration into the void is part and parcel of the larger revolt against God. But the inevitable outcome is no God, no man. Culturally, education has been an initiation into life and a declaration of the meaning and means of life. And the school has been one instrument in this task. But society can never give what it does not possess. And modern man possesses no image of man which gives function and structure to society. Moreover, education has passed into the hands of the state, a major step. Although in the United States, this transfer of education to the state began early in the 1800s, in actuality it was not in full effect until after World War I. Prior to the early 1800s, schools had been operated by churches, local parents, or by the teachers. Higher education maintained its religious orientation much later. In 1860, all but 17 of the universities and colleges in the United States were under church control. The public school, while actually a state school, was largely under local control and extensively given to religious influence. The pressure now is steadily towards the elimination of local control entirely and the securing of federal aid to education to supplement state and county funds. The public school is now unmistakably a state school and its concept of education is inevitably statist. This is apparent in various ways. First of all, education has ceased to be a responsibility of the home and has become a responsibility of the state. Even if the parents are better able to educate their children than the state, as in the William and Mary Turner case in California, the state still claims 
sole right to determine the nature, extent and time of education. Thus, a basic family rights has been destroyed and the state's control over the child asserted. Second, education is now coercive. Attendance is compulsory up to a certain age. The result is destructive of the educational process in that the captive students slow down and wreck the education methods. To cite a specific example, a junior high school boy attempted to knife a teacher but was not expelled, although this was one of a long series of violent acts. The child would have welcomed expulsion, so it was no punishment. The courts had too many more serious offenders in hand and no room for more, and the police felt that the best place for such a boy was at home and in school. As a result, until he reaches 16, this boy will continue to make a havoc of his classes and the teachers will be compelled to submit. Coercion has its place in society and is often a needed thing, but in terms of education, it is destructive when the state uses coercion to compel attendance. Without coercion, the loss in numbers would be negligible, but the educational gains incalculable. Third, by making the school dependent on government funds, taxes, instead of the people, this school is converted into another institution dedicated to self-advantage rather than to its function. The last 40 years have seen far more advanced in school facilities and funds than in successful education. The psychology of state schools is no different than that of state churches, a belief that they are the sole means of truth, a high insolence towards the critic, and a progressively fat inefficiency. A status school, moreover, has no concept of truth to offer. Some of the most appalling instances of this come from prominent scholars genuinely concerned over the claimed superiority of Russian science. Their demands for better education are understandable, but their nakedly status reasons are not. But, it can be objected, is not survival the issue? Is the issue survival, or is it truth? To survive, must we become socialist, as we are in rapid process of becoming, and must we adopt status concepts for life and education? Is education a function of status man or of true and whole man? Education, if it becomes statist or parochial, then reflects the ends of an institution, although a redeeming factor with the church is that, ideally, and sometimes actually, it points beyond itself to God. In either instance, however, however, Education tends to become limited in scope and in statist education especially limited to the narrow purposes of the state. The question is often raised, can the private school survive? The more basic question needs to be raised, has the statist school any right to survive? Educators who advocate state schools do so in the name of the state and a common state culture. They may use less plain speech, but their meaning is the same. The irony here 
is that these same men, in arguing against the need for a common religious faith, insist on a pluralist society. But in dealing with education in the state and a common culture, they are militantly anti-pluralist. The answer is, of course, that the area of pluralism is the area of peripheral values. In things essential, they are far more rigid than medieval man in their insistence on conformity to the new see of St. Peter, the state and its culture. Statist education has, moreover, been singularly unable to give any true sense of direction or purpose or a concept of growth. As Van Til has commented, quote, Education on Dewey's basis is merely animal growth. End quote. Let us consider, for example, the attempt of the National Education Association to formulate a statement of purpose, direction, and growth in education. Written by Charles A. Beard, revised by the Educational Policies Commission and published in 1937, we have here a considered statement of, quote, the unique function of education in American democracy, end quote. It's, quote, five guiding principles, end quote, to which the educator, quote, must refer in discovering the task of education in American democracy, end quote, emphasize relativism. This school is linked with the state rather than an antiquarian interest in knowledge as such. Quote, Public education is anchored in the nature of civilization as unfolded. It is thus closely associated with the ideals, policies and institutions of government and economy, as well as the arts and sciences. Although some forms of private education may be far removed from the hard world of practice, public education can maintain no such isolation. Many professional representatives, it is true, may properly concentrate on schoolroom procedure, methods and testing, but the leaders who determine the content and objectives of instruction must work under the immediate impacts of society, its needs, drives and demands. So viewed, the association of educational history with the encompassing history of American civilization is not a form of antiquarianism and dust-sifting. On the contrary, by this process alone does it seem possible to obtain sure guidance in the formulation of an educational policy corresponding to the realities of the living present, now rising out of the past. End quote. In one sense, this sounds both innocent and commendable, and really unnecessary to say. After all, education is a human activity and is inescapably relevant. And the school Clifton Fadiman attended had a definite relationship to life and society. What then is the drift of all of this? Quote, Antiquarianism and dust sifting, end quote, in education is failure to attempt to remake man and his society. In dealing with ethics, the commission was all for guarding, quote, those virtues of the race, unquote, common to, quote, the humblest, end quote, such as, quote, industry, patience, self-denial and consideration of others, end quote, all of which sound a little uncommon, as well as, quote, the imperial gifts of imagination, originality and invention, 
end quote. Education is important because it, quote, nourishes the underlying values upon which state and society depend for their existence, end quote. The greatest obligation of education is, quote, to truth in itself and for its own sake, obligations to seek it, defend it, and make humane use of it, end quote. What truth means, we are not told, or if truth is more than a relative concept, this latter seems to be inferred. However, ethics and truth seem to be equated with the important but not binding experiences of the past. Education needs ethics because it, quote, embraces knowledge, training, and aspirations, end quote. Quote, the primary business of education in affecting the promises of American democracy is to guard, cherish, advance, and make available in the life of coming generations the funded and growing wisdom, knowledge, and aspirations of the race, end quote. Thus, the basic faith is in democracy, as the statement then repeatedly demonstrates, and there is no higher value. In terms of this, propaganda and education are defined. The Commission was aware that its definition of education made it apparent to be no more than state propaganda. Here, democracy came to the rescue. There is a difference between influencing human behaviour, if it is done for that great leviathan, democracy, and between such activity on the part of a group. Thus, propaganda, quote, is an instrument of a faction or a party, end quote. Moreover, it is partial in its picture, not giving other positions a hearing, which apparently democratic education does. We are given more information by the NEA on the purposes of education in American democracy. Ethics is emphasised, but not in any traditional sense. It is essentially altruism in the sense of serving humanity. The best means of teaching is implicit in method. A school which is autocratic can bring, quote, no lasting contribution to peace, reason and order, end quote. Nor can a school emphasising competition or personal advancement do its part in the cause, quote, only from methods of instruction which not only teach, but which actually are democracy and cooperation, will the appeal to reason be heard and heeded, end quote. The education purposes are fourfold. The objectives of self-realization, human relationship, economic efficiency, and civic responsibility. In speaking of character, it is said that, quote, the educated person gives responsible direction to his own life, end quote. But all people give, quote, responsible direction, end quote, to their lives. The point is, responsible to what? The answer is definitely not God in any supernatural sense. Supernaturalism is a gross business which leads to persecution and the applause of, quote, the most vicious depravity and the most selfish exploitation, end quote. After this astounding verdict on Orthodox Christianity, we are further told, quote, Although such a philosophy may be satisfactory to its possessor, 
it is definitely unsatisfactory to others, end quote. And that, of course, is condemnation enough from this democratic perspective. True ethics is self-born and is congenial, quote, to self-realization through democratic processes, end quote. What follows, then, is a call for the reordering of all aspects of life and the world itself in terms of this democratic and levelling perspective. With the details of these two statements, educators are no longer in agreement. With regard to their basic premises, there is no change. Education has no reference beyond democratic man, no concept of growth, truth or meaning of any objective validity. The consequences of such a position are well described by Helmut Schuch as the destruction of the desired individuality by the lust for equality. The state is an important institution, an indispensable and God-ordained institution, but it is not creative, nor is it productive. Only as the state is limited to its proper jurisdiction, and the same is true of the church, can society be free and productive. Art, science, church, school, family, business, agriculture, everything can then function freely in order that man might fulfil his calling under God. The state cannot give meaning or function. It must itself derive meaning and direction from a free society under God, one able to realise itself in terms of its image mandate. If the state assumes authority and jurisdiction in the various realms, it chokes off their true development, because the state because the state can only give them subsidies, never meaning. Accordingly, the public school, in trying to assist the state and become a fellow architect of the statist culture, has victimised itself. Like a variety of other recipients of subsidy, it fawns on the feeding hand, scarcely aware that it is being fattened for the state's own purposes. And now, private schools, colleges and universities have found their way, through various grants, to the generous trough and are hungry for more, too often hungry, indeed, for everything except the radical independence of education from the state. Duivard, in insisting on the vital relationship of family and school as against state and school, has observed that, quote, the ancient and modern totalitarian ideas of state education of the children contradicts the divine world order and are indeed inhuman and destructive to human society, end quote. A rise in the power of the state is the beginning of the breakdown of meaning and community and the social descent into hell. The biblical doctrine of hell is a necessary, if much misunderstood, concept. The final and eternal state of hell is not present as a society, because society is an aspect of the internal relationship of the triune God and is therefore progressively impossible in isolation from God, an impossibility in hell. Hell is the totality of frustration and meaninglessness and this is its torment and burning, its weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is without government or knowledge because with total epistemological self-consciousness 
apart from God, there is a total rejection of knowledge and meaning. Hell today haunts the boundaries of modern life and appears even in its good life, its play and love, with its mocking frustration and collapse of meaning. Hell awaits culture after culture, as torn by its inner tensions and schizophrenia. It collapses into frustration and evasion. Man's culture apart from God is in continual crisis. And the promise is that, with the rising tensions, men's hearts shall indeed fail them for fear because of the meaninglessness of their efforts and the crises which shatter human endeavours. Luke twenty-one twenty-six. Because meaning cannot exist apart from God, education too is haunted by the same spectre of emptiness. All creation witnesses to the glory of God, and all creation and all factuality witnesses against the man and culture who flee from him. According to Deborah, who wrote out of No Easy Circumstances, quote, The stars in their courses fought against Sisera, Judges 5.20. Life is no different now, still a battle, but with this assurance always that the very course of creation works to confirm and establish that man, whose life is given to the glory of God and that pursuit of knowledge which is consistent with him by whom all things are known. Note 1 to chapter 5 The Religion of the Public Schools In 1951, the Educational Policies Commission of the NAA issued its statement on moral and spiritual values in the public schools, written by William G. Carr, with the expressed hope, quote, that this report will encourage in homes, churches and schools a nationwide renaissance of interest in education for moral and spiritual values, end quote. It declared, quote, by moral and spiritual values, We mean those values which, when applied to human behaviour, exalt and refine life and bring it into accord with the standards of conduct that are approved in our democratic culture. End quote. Page 3. Thus, the group is still the source of values. The voice of the people is fully the voice of God. Schools and teachers must serve the people. They cannot serve any supernatural God, and, quote, they can have no part in securing acceptance of any one of the numerous systems of belief regarding a supernatural power and the relation of mankind thereto, end quote. But we are told that very high spiritual and moral values are possible apart from supernaturalism and are taught by the public schools, page 4. The public schools are not against religion. Rather, quote, the public schools of the United States stand firmly for freedom of religious belief, end quote. A common education must be given based on a, quote, respect, unquote, for all religious opinions, quote. Such an education must be derived, not from some synthetic patchwork of many religious views, but rather from the moral and spiritual values which are shared by the members of all religious faiths. Such education has profound religious significance, end quote, page 6. A more beggarly concept is hardly possible. 
Here is the old myth of the common core of religion at the heart of all religions. It is comparable to saying that we must hold to a respect for monarchy, fascism, Nazism, communism, feudalism, republicanism and democracy and believe in the moral and spiritual values shared by all of them. It would be to affirm a belief in government as such as being moral, irrespective of its character. Religion as such can be true or false, good or bad, decadent or virile. To affirm religion as such is to affirm the irrelevance of all moral and spiritual values, and this is the true implication of this stand taken by the Educational Policies Commission. This is clearly apparent in the developed concept of values. Values are not transcendent, least of all derived from God. Human personality is, quote, the basic value, end quote, and the individual is capable of acquiring all needed values. Quote, this doctrine sharply challenges every form of oppression, end quote, page 18 and following. Autonomous man needs no external forces to attain self-realization, a concept of values, or moral and spiritual competence. In terms of this, the public school claims to teach religion and states that it needs partners. That it teaches religion we must grant, but we must insist that this religion is anti-Christianity and that no concept of Christianity which tries to conform to the biblical standards can ever give approval to the religion of the public schools. What the public schools claim is a neutral concept of religion is indeed a concept of neutrality with regard to truth and cannot be allowed to go unchallenged by all who believe truth to be important. A further comment on the values of democratic culture can be made. It is hostile to that which emphasises the basically isolating inner issues and is a culturally limited experience, that is, beyond the appreciation of more than a segment of the population. Notice this comment in the 1938 document, Purposes of Education in American Democracy, quote, It is at least open to question whether there is anything intrinsically more dramatic and elevating in watching the struggle on a darkening stage between Macbeth and his conscience than in watching under a warm summer sun a good nine-inning pitching duel, end quote, page 65. In view of such standards, we have no cause for surprise at the results of education. Note 2 to Chapter 5 The Presbyterian Church USA and the Public Schools On May 20th, 1957, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, since become the United Presbyterian Church in the United States of America, received and adopted a statement entitled The Presbyterian Church in the United States of America and the Public Schools, end quote, this document in itself has no importance except as the self-conscious statement of quote, a main artery of Protestantism concerning the nature and aims of public education among a few people. End quote. A main, if hardened, artery needs to be listened to. The basic weakness of the statement is that it rests primarily not on an articulate and consistent faith or philosophy, but on a fear of Roman Catholicism 
and its claims to tax funds for parochial schools. Had the report dealt squarely with this issue as such, it might have had more consistency. The statement denies that the public schools are godless, and yet strikes at, quote, the, quote, common core, end quote, of religion idea, as it appears in the public schools, is false in that, quote, religious commitment arises in a specific and concrete religious community, highly articulate, and never abstracted into common elements, end quote. Thus, there can be no countenancing of, quote, the teaching of devitalized common faith as a proper substitute for highly specific religious belief, end quote. But this dilemma is never resolved. The public schools implicitly or explicitly assert a system of values hostile to Christianity. How is the church to reconcile itself with this reality? The apparent solution is in a Thomistic answer to the question of truth. Religious knowledge requires supernatural revelation and the Holy Spirit, whereas natural revelation can be validly seen in the light of reason. Quote, The public school may well provide a context for growth in understanding, which does no violence to the validity of revelation. Indeed, the public school can make valuable contributions to man's understanding of true revelation by increasing literacy and general comprehension of the nature of knowledge. End quote. Rome has nothing to fear from an artery which has so far altered its reformed pulse as to carry a Thomistic nature. The statement insists on quote, the divine origin of all values, end quote, but not on the divine creation and interpretation of all factuality, a concept which would destroy its premise for public schools. The public school has, moreover, a central value all its own. It is democratic, and the child, no matter how valuable his private school training may be in other respects, must not be isolated from the mainstream or encouraged in, quote, cloistered living, end quote. There is some special virtue in the togetherness of democratic public schools, which private Christian or parochial schools, no matter how representative their student bodies, are assumed to lack. Apparently, it is participation in that sacred mystical body, the state. And, apparently, a common religious faith among the students is a handicap rather than an asset and strength. Note 3 to Chapter 5 The State and Liberal Education In a thoughtful and persuasive collection of essays, President Griswold of Yale states the case for liberal education not as a universal prescription, but as a necessary element in truly free education. As he points out, liberal arts properly means, quote, the arts becoming to a free man, end quote. Liberal education is directly related to knowledge, freedom and civilization. Quote, not only does it concern itself more directly and vitally than any other type of education with the good life that is the end of all political society, it also shows a like concern for the means whereby that society is to be governed and the good life achieved, end quote. The basis of a rule of law is in character and morality, quote, The moral, then, is plain. To do good 
we must first know good. To serve beauty, we must first know beauty. To speak the truth, we must first know the truth. We must know these things ourselves to be able to recognize them by ourselves, be able to describe, explain, and communicate them by ourselves, and wish to do so when no one else is present, when no one else is present to prompt us or bargain with us. Such knowledge is the purpose of liberal education. We must hold true to that purpose. No price, no mess of pottage can equal its value to our country and ourselves, its citizens, end quote. The unhappy fact about this eloquent statement is that it concludes the book rather than opens up the problem. As a result, the issue posed here is never met. A sadder fact confronts us as we examine Griswold's conception of the good life. It is, quote, the end of all political society, end quote, a definition increasingly common in the last two centuries, as it was in the areas of the ancient world, as witness Greek states, but by no means the basic concept in Western culture. That a free state is important in the good life is granted, but men have known the good life without it. The basic definition of the good life has been in terms of God and man's freedom under God, a freedom from the burden of guilt and sin and the ability to fulfil his image mandate as God's vicegerent. There was a time at Yale when the good life would have been defined thus, quote, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, end quote. Griswold is troubled by the growth of state power, but he has no weapon against it, since for him the good life is defined in terms of it. Moreover, he agrees with Jefferson in calling education, quote, the most legitimate engine of government, end quote, and thereby surrendering the independence of that area which is ostensibly to undergird freedom. How much he concedes to the state appears in his essay on, quote, the limited competence of the state, end quote. The preservation of democracy he finds in the principle of the, quote, separation of powers, end quote. The checks and balances in the United States have been endangered in recent years. But separation of powers means also that the realm of the spirit was reserved to the church and the realm of the mind to the school. This is the, quote, sacred maxim of free government, end quote, and apparently sacred to nothing more. Griswold is too conscious of modern scepticism to assert any God-given rights here, or natural rights. The wisdom of the Founding Fathers so ordered it. He accepts it historically and values it personally. He establishes no principle whereby the integrity of any realm stands. And since the good is in terms of the state, no area can ultimately withstand the sovereign claims of the state, since it apparently exists by the indulgence and grace of the state. Since the good life is political, Griswold is ready to believe that, quote, the voice of the people is the voice of God, end quote. But the state, unhappily, is a Moses who can only lead these chosen people into the wilderness, never out of it. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. 
We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio podcast network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.